Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. And today's guest is Mike Battersby, Chairman and Managing Director of MMS. Um, I would pronounce the name, but I'll let, um, I'll let Mike do that. Um, who are a privately owned limited company and is establishing itself as a world leader in the development and implementation of innovative, cost-effective technologies and processes in the field of mineral, chemical and waste processing. It has been many... Um, they have many patents and granted and has won a number of national innovation awards for its technology. The technology can achieve significant uh, environmental benefits in terms of reduced energy and waste operations. So with all that, I'd like to welcome Mike, who can um, obviously give us a, a good overview of, of the company um, and, tell, and tell, obviously tell us all how, they can, um, how mining companies can actually benefit in the, um, the process inside of, uh, of mining. So like to welcome Mike to the, to the podcast. How are you doing, Mike? Great, thanks. Good to talk to you, Rob. Yeah, and yourself. Appreciate your time uh, coming on to the podcast. No, not a problem. The, the, just uh, with the name, it's Malguin Mineral Services because uh, we're a Welsh-based company and decided at the formation that rather than just have a generic uh, mineral services name, we would take a name that uh, probably a lot of people around the world have difficulty in pronouncing, but at least they remember us as that, that Welsh company they can't pronounce. <laughs> but, but more importantly, it allows us to use the dragon as our logo. Yeah, certainly. So, um, certainly. Yeah. Well, I gave myself the uh, not non embarrassment of trying to uh, trying to pronounce it and just call. Yes, it. no, that's fine. So we we my, my, we're known to the industry as MMS yeah. and uh, Margaret Mineral Services. Yeah. So yeah. obviously, as we start this pod, always start these podcasts off. Wanted if you can give us a, a background of yourself, um, way back, and obviously how you got into the mining industry to sort of current day. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I, I got into it simply, uh, probably like a lot of people in the industry, through family. My, uh, my dad was a mining engineer. And in fact, my, my mum was a, a mine nurse out in uh, the Copper Belt in Zambia, where I was born. Um, <clears throat> my dad uh, moved in the 60s to Wales to do all the shaft sinking of the coal mines here. Um, and yeah, and then he he went on and did most of the development work in the the Cornish tin mines in the seventies and uh, early eighties. And yeah, so when it came to time to uh, what to study, I wasn't particularly sure. My brother had gone down the mineral processing route uh, before me, and I and my dad encouraged me to go into the industry. Um, he didn't want me to be a mining engineer because, uh, well, he was a dangerous, I suppose. I, I think he'd had a few near-miss accidents in his working life. And uh, he didn't, he, he, he suggested not being a geologist because he said in the, in the downturns, the geologists are the first one out the door. So he said, why not look at mineral processing? So uh, that's, what I, that's what I did. I, I studied mineral processing at uh, Cardiff University. And yeah, that's how I entered the, the, the industry, basically. That's how I got to know it. 
Yeah. And how, and how's your sort of career developed from obviously graduating? Um, yeah. and how's your journey? Been? Um, well, uh, interestingly, so I well, we the, the Cardiff University at, at that stage had a mining department, Minex, and it was the whole course was actually uh, designed by Anglo-American Corporation. And so at the end of the course, um, just about everybody in the whole department got offered jobs with Anglo. Um, and in fact, for myself, it was a good time in the industry. I think I applied for four jobs. Uh, four positions got offered four positions but but uh took the the one with anglo in south africa um and interestingly today is the 40th anniversary of my first working day in a gold mine in in Valcom, western holdings gold mine in in south africa Congratulations. and I, I i i remember it but simply it's it was my it was my mother's birthday and it was 1980 so uh you know thinking about uh you know how it developed yeah that's it 40 years of, uh, of well i suppose continued employment in the mining industry yeah congratulations on that yes um, there's, there's there's not too many people that can say they've had 40 years experience in the industry so yes. my next question is how come you've been in the industry for 40 years i mean what what do you love about the industry um well i've uh, as as we'll go on you'll realize i've you know i've been in the various facets of the industry but first off i i uh, started in started actually in mining and operations i um after well i worked for anglo american gold and the at the time the largest gold mine in the world and that was exciting and then when i got some experience to a senior plant metallurgist level um <clears throat> anglo-american decided to second me to de beers uh, the diamond side of uh, their operations and in fact uh, asked me to go to work in angola in the the diamond mines up in the north there during the time of the civil war when uh, the, there was a uh, you know obviously a communist government in power uh, and uh, I suppose a right-wing government in South Africa on the other side of the border. So it was, uh, yeah, but I had three good years there of uh, a lot of really worthwhile experience in the hard graft of, of operations and met an awful lot of fantastic people who I still count now all these years later as my, my friends. Um, yeah, and, and just gained experience. So and then just moving on mining projects you you tend not to stay in one place all your life so you move on i then went and did uh, I, I returned to the uk in fact and as a base and did consultancy work contract work for a, a, a welsh uh, consulting firm that basically sent me around the world um i had i had six months in uh, in venezuela dredging diamonds on, on a on an exploration operation there i had a, a lovely time in the south of spain in a in a, a silver heap leach pilot mine um yeah so just all interesting experiences and then i got the opportunity to uh, go and work in australia and in fact emigrated and uh, became an australian citizen and you know thought that would be the uh, the place to be and the, the you know the place to be based but circumstances <laughs> meant that i was asked to go and work in germany and in fact i've never been back to australia to live so it's uh, it's just uh, you know that that's the mining industry 40 years but in varied positions and of course uh, say 23 years ago we we founded Margaret mineral services and yeah and that's it where uh, 
which is when you look at it is over half my working life over half the 40 years so yeah it's it's gone very quickly yeah certainly so um i want to go on now to speak about malgrin services so can you give us a uh, I suppose uh, the, a bit of the history, because obviously you've been in business for 23 years. Um, I wonder if you can give us a, a brief journey of when you started and how you developed the company to where you are today. Okay, I, 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 I probably need to a small bit of background. Yeah. In, in my last, let's say, operational job, I worked for a large... Uh, a large mining company that, that in fact unbeknown to me was being taken over and and they let us they let a whole lot of us go without us knowing exactly what was the the place but they they provided an outplacement agency that did an analysis of myself you know you probably as a uh, in the recruitment area you probably know all about these things but uh, and this and, and it was a quite a shock to me came out that i was a, an i had an entrepreneurial spirit and probably wasn't suited to the big corporate environment of a major mining company in the head office um that same time that same week in fact i i uh, there was a technology company that heard that i'd uh, left that company and offered me a position in their company and then I saw uh, an advert in a newspaper for a, a, a master's degree in innovation and entrepreneurship. So in that weekend I, I enrolled on that course and studied it and, and have a second degree oh, in, in entrepreneurship. I was going to say how was that degree? Fantastic. Yeah. It was the it, it, by far the most in, best most important interesting thing I've done in my life. And what it was really opened my eyes. What was, what was interesting about it? Um, it's well, it was in the early, this is uh, mid nineties. It was the early days when people started really talking about innovation. Um, and this, and it was university, Swinburne University in Melbourne, and they picked up on it and, and actually formed an innovation department. And they had uh, mentors like Peter Drucker, the you know famous uh, famous author. Yeah. Uh, as as their course advisors and these things and it just it really for me it, it sort of showed you how to do how to develop and uh, start a new business in fact with with innovative ideas equipment whatever um, but also uh, that that entrepreneurship you can in fact learn entrepreneurship it's not necessarily just a natural thing mm. you know people don't you, everybody seems to think, oh, well, you know, people um, like oh, Richard yeah. Branson just started off and, you know, but, but you can actually learn it. And, and many, many people have done that. Hmm. So anyway, once I'd finished all that, the course and was then working for a technology company with, um, uh, with fantastic products, innovative products who sent me to Germany, I was always on the lookout, right? I've got to, I've got to do my own thing. I had so many ideas in the mining industry that I thought, yes, I've got to look out for something. And basically with that German company, I, I, I saw a few opportunities for some products and took it to them and discussed it with them. And they, they really were not interested. They didn't want to pursue it further. So after a number of years with them, I decided, right, we can, uh, I can do this better myself, set up Malgrim Mineral Services. Uh, I'd, I'd met in that company a fantastic, uh, my basically my co-founder dr reiner imhoff uh who's a serial inventor and so i went to him with my concepts of what i what the industry wanted and and asked him to to, to design something okay right. and he did 
and that was our first product, uh, the Arkan reactor, in fact, for, uh, well, for, to assist in gold leaching. So that was it. We just started off on that one product. I, I relocated back to Wales uh, for various personal reasons that my wife was, uh, sorry, my, my future wife at the time was still finishing a PhD in Germany and Australia was too far to go back for a relationship. So I, I came back to Wales to, to form the company. But, but in, in, in essence, we are a sort of a, a Welsh-German uh, corporation, let's say. <laughs> and, and so obviously starting up, how, how have you sort of grown the company to where it is today? Um, uh, to be honest, organically, we, uh, I decided for better or worse at the time that uh, I, I had some, you know, I'd been working for a while. So I was, uh, you know, I had a bit of money put aside. So I just decided, right, let's see and let's make a go of it. Um, I, I, you know, I had short circuit things a little bit in so much I'd set up with people I knew in the industry, some early contracts for the technology I was going to develop. So we didn't, you know, we did hit the ground running. Yeah. And in fact, the first day the company was registered, we, uh, a friend, in fact, with a mining company placed an order for our technology. So it was on that basis. But it was, uh, you know, with zero, basically, we were zero capital input. Just myself, uh, Dr. Imhoff was still working professionally for uh, other companies and just then grew organically on the back of, uh, on the back of that one product. Mm. Um, the, uh, just to the side, we called it the Aachen Reactor, uh, Aachen being a big city in Germany, close to the the French border, border, and a lot, and with a mining background. And uh, in fact, a lot of people, if not all, think that it was the technology was developed in Aachen. But unfortunately, um, in those days, it was the internet wasn't so prevalent, and uh, sales lists were done on hard copy. And I just wanted something on the top of the list, so Aachen is spelt A A. Aachen. Um, so it was either going to be the Aachen reactor or in fact the Aardvark reactor. <laughs> so we, uh, we decided on the Aachen reactor and, and, and that's why it stayed. Yeah. Um, taking it further, then, then what actually happened was, uh, say, Dr. Imhoff was the inventor of other technologies for other companies. One of them, pneumatic flotation. Uh, the company he was working for was going through a, a change of direction and, and ownership, in fact, and they decided not to continue with his technology. And um, in Germany at the time, if you're, and they owned his patents, the ones that he invented, in Germany, they had in law had to offer the patents back if they weren't going to maintain them to the inventor. Okay. So it was just a no-brainer. He took them over free of charge, had to had to maintain them, and then quickly vended them into Margaret Mineral Services so that we could then go into the market with that flotation technology without the worry of being, you know, thought of copying other people's technology and, you know, the, with a little bit of protection. Um, so he then joined, he came full-time on board. Um but we, we realized we needed to improve the technology. So once again, I, I saw what was required, but didn't really know how to do it. So I set him the task, please invent something. And he came up with what we call the, the Immaflot G-cell, 
which is uh, again patented technology which is uh, the other sort of arm of our company that we've built on and that's where we supply most of our flotation plants uh, around the world on the basis of that technology we we got a, a, a in the early days we won a smart wales award from the welsh government to uh, a grant in fact to, to fund the uh, initial development which was extremely helpful and uh, yeah and we've grown grown the technology since then making improvements making modifications and uh, yeah now it's uh well it's it, it's the best one of the well i think we think it's the best uh, flotation technology on the market and that's really why we're, we're getting all this success at the moment yeah no, that's good to hear i wondered if you can tell us um about these technologies that you're developing and also the products i don't know whether you want to combine them both together or speak about them separately but i wanted to give us an overview of all the technologies and products that yeah sure I'll, I'll, I'll keep it you know fairly uh, brief and not hopefully not too technical maybe maybe for my own benefit <laughs> um the the the, the arc and the arc and reactor so i i came out and did a lot of work in as i've said in the gold industry yeah. and one of the areas when you're leaching gold with cyanide which is nine 99% of the recovery of gold around the world you need you basically need you need oxygen for the reaction to take place uh, and a lot of operations don't have enough oxygen in these in the, in their circuit to to have a fast reaction and i saw i saw that in all these operations many many years ago so for me it was always an idea how can you accelerate how can you put more oxygen in there rather than just blowing air in with its oxygen component so that's where and that's what the arcan reactor does it basically is a, a mass transfer device that puts a gas into a fluid and in that gold case, it's it's oxygen into a uh, a gold cyanide uh, rich uh, pulp, and and that was the original the original idea, and that's where our initial success was. We had uh, installations in gold mines in all over the world, Australia, Fiji, France. Um, but on the back of that, we saw that it did the technology did a lot more. It actually, when you had sulfides involved in the gold process and the gold was locked in the sulfides you actually needed to liberate the gold out of the sulfides and and the reactors with the way the efficient mass transfer started uh, oxidizing a little bit the material so we developed a process combined with ultrafine grinding of flotation concentrate with the arcan reactor it actually partially oxidized this, this, uh, the sulfides and, and release the gold to acceptable and economic recoveries. So that was, we then patented that process and we called it the leachox process, leach with oxygen, leachox. And, and that's a process that's uh, uh, been, been actually been embraced by the industry, particularly, I, I'll, I'll say a bit later, in, in, in Africa. And uh, yeah, and it's going great guns at the moment. We have a, a lot of those installations. So that's on the gold leaching side. On the flotation side, where um, Dr. Rimhoff vended in his patents in the early days, that was a technology that he'd, um, he'd been working on. The, the true inventors were a couple of German professors going back to the 1960s who'd come up with this idea that uh, for flotation. So I'll, I'll go back a little bit. Conventional flotation is basically a big tank with a, a, a mix, a stirrer in the bottom, and you blow air through it, 
and to generate bubbles and the, you modify the surface of the material trying to separate and it attaches to the bubbles and floats off. That was, that's, that process is over a hundred years old. Um, the only real innovation in those processes in a hundred years is the tanks have got huge, massive, massive tanks, which has just re reduced the, the cost, the unit throughput, the unit cost for, for throughput of those tanks. But the, the performance of the tanks has actually dropped off the metallurgical performance. So these, these professors came up with the idea was if you could separate out all the processes, you could have a, a far better system and more efficient. And that's what they did. So they, they separated the bubble attachment onto the air part, onto the, material, the mineral particle in a reactor outside the tank, and then just used the tank to separate out the bubbles from the, sink, from the heavy particles. So basically the bubbles just floated off. By doing that, they completely optimized the circuit and gave much better recoveries and, and grade of product. So where Dr. Imhoff uh, went and he made that into a more commercial practical application. And he did that in a number of companies before Malguin. But with Malguin, we just took that to another stage uh, of pneumatic flotation. So, you know, really it's, um, it, it's, it's, as a low, it's a lower energy. There's no moving parts. The only energy is the pump that drives, drives the process. So it's a lower, lower energy consumption, smaller, much, much smaller footprint. So lower capital cost, lower operating cost because of the energy, and yet gives a much higher performance. So that's why we're slowly but surely making inroads into this, the huge market that is uh, flotation, flotation recovery. 80% yeah. of the minerals of the world are recovered by flotation. So you can see how, how, how big that is. Um, it's a very conservative industry. Uh, the people don't like change. So, it, you know, it's taken an awful long time to, to scratch the surface. But we, we do have those applications in some pretty nice niche applications that are uh, this, this day and age with the talk of, you know, sustainability and, and battery metals. Uh, and high-tech metals is a is a a very big area, so we can see a, a huge growth potential potential there. Yeah, and obviously we've we've just been speaking about gold. Do you uh, obviously design is your products and technology focus on other commodities apart from gold, or is it just based just the the the, the arc and reactor is is gold, but there are other we are looking at other applications, environmental applications. A big area is is carbon carbon dioxide sequestration to reduce uh, you know to reduce the the carbon footprint and uh, allow allow companies and operations to work sustainably that's an area we're doing a fair amount of area of research but that is uh, that's on the 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 arc and reactor mass transfer in the flotation that's across the whole gannet of all minerals our early our early sales and plants were in in fact in copper copper molybdenum in in chile some large plants there we've done uh, iron ore reverse flotation of magnetite and then a whole range of gold operations um but more recently we're looking at uh, one big area is is potassium potash flotation and that's uh, we've had some very good success recently in uh, in that area but also, you know, battery metals, cobalt, lithium is, a, is another huge area we can see potential for, simply because the technology 
in that niche application, the specific traits of it that makes it even more attractive than normal. So it's, uh, you know, it's, you could call it a niche application. Um, I guess I, no, no, carry on. No, just, I'll give you an example. Um, so we, um, on the potash, so being, uh, half, half started in a German company, we did have some contacts with the German potash producers, uh, Cali and Salz, uh, K and S, I think they're branded now. They're one of the world's largest potash producers. So in the early days we did provide them we did sell flotation equipment the Immaflot cells to them and and uh, you know being close at hand in germany we could see the advantages and then st and started to market it we were then picked up by uh, belarus kali which is the the national potash producer in belarus um and working with a, a, a belarusian engineering company passat uh, basically uh, cracked open that that market. Belarus is one of the world's largest producers of potash. That's a certain type of potash, murate of potash, MOP. And uh, over the last 15 years, we've we've refurbished and replaced the existing technology in I think seven of their eight process plants. So it's been an, a, a very interesting project for that. Um, on the back of that, we've seen the advantages of um, the technology for potash. And now there's uh, there's a lot of p potential operations starting up, particularly in Western Australia, from the the salt pans there that are high in in potassium, but they're looking to produce uh, sulfate of potash, which is a higher grade fertilizer and and uh, and has a higher sales price. Um, murate of potash, lower quality, generally used for general fertilizer, I, I think throwing on fields for wheat and barley and corn production. Sulfate of potash is a higher value for speciality crops, uh, uh, avocados and all types of fruit trees and, and more for intensive intensive farming where we need that, that production worldwide, you know, uh, around the world. So there's a huge, huge market growing for it. And uh, and we saw so we um, we have a German partner QTech, which is uh, they have a certain process the downstream stride side of of upgrading the the pot the potassium, but in our case it's simply a flotation of beneficiation, and we've joint ventured with them and and particularly for one project uh, in the, the Beyond the uh, project in Western Australia we won the contract there to to upgrade uh, to to build a potassium flotation plant and we ma we managed to increase the design recovery of potash from what 70 72 percent to over 90 percent which basically allowed the project to be commercial now um we're currently executing that project uh, under the unfortunate situation of covid19 we were lucky enough to construct all the equipment in 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 europe and it was uh, we managed to load it into, into containers and put it on a boat just before lockdown happened. It's now in Australia, but it's there's obviously a slight delay for it to be uh, commissioned up there in the northern part of Western Australia. But it's uh, it's really groundbreaking. There are many many companies looking at that project to see uh, to see uh, you know how how uh, how successful it's going to be, and, and we see that as a huge area worldwide for this this technology and this applications. Yeah, obviously your your uh, technologies and products are to sort of um, get better recoveries. What kind of percentages are 
does your products, I suppose, um, increase someone's uh, recoveries? So if a client came to you and said, look, this is our recovery rate, how much, how much better can you do with your products? Well, we'd, we'd um, obviously in, in most things that are metallurgical, we would, uh, we would undertake test work or they would undertake test work. Yeah. We, uh, uh, I, I haven't mentioned it, but we do, we have a, a South African based division that covers Africa. And inside that they have a, uh, a very large and extensive metallurgical testing facility. And so worldwide, we do all our testing there in, uh, in Johannesburg. So they would, we would take the samples that they gave us and we would do the test work in our technology and compare it to what they have currently existing or what they've tested elsewhere. And on that basis, you can, you can show them and demonstrate the, 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 the basic, you know, how much improvement there is. You know, it, it's, most of it is not, it almost always is a, a, an improvement metallurgically and then you can also you can tell them the bet the cost benefit of it as well but you know a lot of these things come down to the fact that uh, people financing the project are not interested in new technology they just want to put the, the same old thing so long as it works that's all they care about and they don't want to invest so a lot of these things even though the mining company sees the advantage you know they say oh well our you know the banks or the the the, who are the brokers whoever is funding it and doing the due diligence are not that keen on something that hasn't been in existence for a hundred years yeah that's probably the biggest uh, battle I, I i'll tell you a story on the other the other side of it the arc and reactors so we say we set up in south south africa to cover the rest of africa and uh, there was an operation with rangold resources marilla in Mali, which which is is now actually just been sold to a, a, an Australian company, but Rangold liked our technology and saw what it could do and did a due diligence on us. So they they took some of our Arkan react two Arkan reactors and tested it out at this operation in in Mali. This is going back now for 14, 15 years, and it did very well. Um, and what we're talking about is maybe a one or two percent increase in gold recovery, which doesn't sound an awful lot, but that that probably could be 40 million, 50 million US dollars a year in extra production, in extra revenue. Mm. Um, and, and in a lot of cases, it's a lot higher than that. So then Rangold, uh, after giving us you know a very a strong due diligence. Uh, then embraced us completely and in fact designed their future plants on the back of our technology um, and I have to say all our technologies in all their operations particularly the the Tongan operation in the Ivory Coast and the Kabali operation in the DRC which are two their two tier one they call um, uh, gold of gold mine operations uh, uh, Kibali is approaching a million ounces a year now I think and um, that allowed, we believe, I mean, you know, they, 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 they tell us this, the, the technical people, but it basically, it brought Rango to the attention of uh, the majors and, and you're aware of the, bar the barrack Rango merger that's become the new, new barrack. And I think we played a, a small part in that success of their operations. And we did hear that uh, Mark Bristow, the, the CEO now of Barrack, of, formerly of Rango, used to call us the, the golden bubbles because of <laughs> the oxygen reaction to the, with the gold leaching. So uh, we sort of embraced that. We use that in our marketing. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Um, 
obviously you mentioned there's like obviously resistance to change and people tend to continue with the same process that they have been and like you said why why should they change so i'm asking you why why would a company want to put your implement your technology and especially if obviously if there is a lot of resistance to change how, how why would they want to introduce your technology i i and i understand obviously it's to build more efficiency but there must be more more around that um the I, I I think so. Just going back historically, I think it was the case there was a resistance to new technology up to, up to a few years ago, mm. and in fact, the only you know the sales of new technology, and not just ours, of anything that's you know the, as a technologist, you can see why wow, that's much better. Why isn't everybody using it? Simply was that resistance that not change anything and uh, let's be conservative and that, let's not, uh, you know, and, and to be honest, if you're building a, a mine that costs, you know, half a billion, half a billion dollars and one piece of technology that probably only costs five million or 10 million doesn't work, the whole mine doesn't work and you've lost all your money so you can yeah. understand it on on the the other side yeah. so so really we we and new technology only got into applications where the conventional technology would not work would not give a result that made it economic for the mine let's say to go ahead but having said that now in the last couple of years and it unfortunately it's driven by accidents you know the tailings yeah. spill in yeah. brazil has alerted, has got the, the focus of the world on mining. Um, in the gold industry, some the cyanide uh, tailing spills uh, quite a few years before that around the world. And then the sustainability side of it, you know, uh, coal burning, coal-fired power stations, you know, people still relate it to being mining. And uh, and so there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of interest, from especially the major mining companies, to look at sustainability and we found with with especially the big guys so you know the rio tintos the anglo-americans bhps barrack they're really looking at to doing a much better job both in the, for the environment for their social responsibilities in the areas where they're doing business and in the technology and I, i'm sure you've uh, you know the buzzword of digitization of the mining industry mm. to make it more efficient you know, and that's just part of the uh, the whole door opening to to new and new technology and, and getting it commercialized. So for for us at the moment, I think this is quite an exciting time that probably wasn't there for you know the any time in the in in the history before. Yeah. So you're saying that you're probably looking to grow now because there's a lot of focus on ESG. Um, yes, very and, much so. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, we we can't keep doing it the way we have done it. You know, tailings, it's not an area, you know, we, we, we have a cyanide destruction process as well that that's environmentally destroys all the cyanide inside the plant rather than have any residual. But we're not really involved in the, in the, the tailing side of, of mining. However, we can see quite clearly that, uh, you know, the whole industry has to move away from wet tailings deposition to a safe, stable, dry tailings. You know, it's going to cost money, so there has to be major innovation there to reduce that cost. But it, it's something we have to do to make mining, well, sustainable, yeah. to be allowed to mine, to get that social licensing. And there's other areas, water, uh, water, water savings, energy savings. These are all require innovation in technology. 
Mm. Um, what sort of uh, projects, uh, flotation projects, are are you uh, sort of currently focusing on? And is some of your projects in the sort of front end, whether you're designing a new new process plant, or are you coming into an existing process plant where you're then looking to implement? Uh, yeah, we. we we actually we're we're in the middle to be honest we have a mixture of both um the the four the small footprint of uh of the flotate imaflot g-cell flotation technology um means that it's a very nice technology to retrofit into existing circuits most of them are designed you know obviously cost effectively so there's not much room inside the plant building um if the plant's on the side of a hill or wherever there's there's very little room so, you know, we find a, a lot of interest from people who need to increase production, need more flotation capacity, but simply can't fit in a big tanks in their existing configuration. So they come to us and we can generally, you know, fit around it and, and they get the benefit. So that's one area of the retrofitting. But the other side is, is on, uh, on new projects and, you know, where, where, they see the benefit and we start from day one working with the engineering companies doing the test work for the pre-feasibility study working through with the engineering company hopefully getting the equipment penciled in into the the engineering design and then when they they get to the feasibility study and they can raise the money to build the plant or the bank loan or however they fund it that we're there ready to go um on on day one with construction and, and those are the uh in our case would be these uh, uh potash projects lithium projects around the world and then uh copper copper molly copper molybdenum projects and uh, copper cobalt projects as well those are our sort of our niche uh, niche applications for flotation um what sort of challenges would a company be facing to say and then you come along and, and present your product what challenges would you say a company would be facing in their process plant for you to then to say you need our you need our product um the, if you're talking of an existing process plant yeah then it's it, it's very difficult um uh, yeah as i just mentioned you know if they need if it's a successful process and they need to expand and we're the only ones that can fit in there that's fine but what normally happens, as I've alluded to, you will, um, the, the, due to the, the nature of the financing, they will have to, they will be uh, requested to put in conventional technology, which they may even but themselves believe won't work to the economic advantage of the, the operation. But they spend the capital, put it in, and then it doesn't work as well and they maybe barely break even or make a loss but that's it you've spent the capital so you can't just rip it out and put a the same amount of capital in again in a, in a modification so they then have to try and find ways to make that that system that process work and you know in our case it's very difficult to come in you can say oh well we told you so mm. but it doesn't you know it doesn't uh, cut the muster really they've uh, they've they they're technologists they're metallurgists on the plant somehow have to make by some hook or crook make the system they have economic it's it's frustrating for us that's why we we obviously like to get in as early as we can with projects so they're comfortable with new technology so they can see the benefits which uh, which is really to reduce the risk to uh 
you know, to their investors and their shareholders that, that yeah, no, this is not a risk. This, this technology will work. Mm. So what's the future development areas for Malgrin? Um, we, we, we're for a small company. We're fairly active. We, um, say so we still dr imoff is uh you know in his well, he's in his 70s now uh, but he's still developing inventing things left right and center um we've we've seen uh, we've seen the requirements for uh, an ultra fine grinding mill um we we've, we've had a lot of experience in the industry and seen what's out there and basically we've decided well we decided a while back that we could design and uh commercialize a better mill more efficient more energy efficient more uh process efficient so we we're actually in the process we we um we've had various eu horizon 2020 grants to develop that process in collaboration with other research institutes it's called the rostar mill uh we're, we're in the process now of commercializing that and talking to operations about industrial size uh units to test and prove up um, we're, we're part of other research organizations that are investigating fine processing. So you're, you're probably aware that all bodies are getting harder and harder. Everybody, everybody will tell you from geologists to mining engineers. Um, and in that, that type, the, 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 the degree of difficulty of processing is getting harder and harder because basically they're getting fine. The ores, the mineralogy is getting finer and finer. And uh, all the t most of the technology around today has got a limit to the fine size it can go, can process down to. Generally, about 75 microns in that range, 75 to 100 microns. When after that, the conventional technology, the efficiency drops off. So we're in a Horizon 2020 project called Fine Fine Future. They've all got some snazzy name to look at uh, fine processing across the, the, the whole processing range. And that's a, that's a collaboration of oh, about six or seven research institutes across Europe, some uh, in companies like ourselves, some mining companies are involved. So basically looking at how we can efficiently develop processes to recover 15, 20 micron size materials out of, um, out of their, their operation and their, their, their process plant. And that's very exciting for us. Yeah. And how do you, I'm just going to slowly wrap this up, but how yeah. do you see the future of the mineral processing industry? Obviously you mentioned what you've just mentioned now is trying to, I suppose, make fine, fine processing become more obviously more evident. And I take it mining now. And so I've, obviously I've been speaking to a lot of people doing these podcasts and people within the industry, but it seems to me, it's getting harder and harder to obviously find deposits and some of the deposits are going deeper and deeper. So I think the mineral processing industry is going to be even more critical because of the amount of uh, stuff that's going through these process plants needs to be that the recovery needs to be more than what it was previously. So how, how do you see the future of the, of the whole industry over the next five or 10 years? Um, I, I think it's got a fantastic future. Um, I think with the, this look now to battery metals and, and battery metals and, you know, the, just all the exotic metals, the rare earth elements, rare earth oxides around the planet that are needed for the mobile phones, the computers, for the, you know, that's in the, the motors that drive the wind turbines, let alone just the, you know, um, the Telsa battery system. 
the processing of those materials is very complex. It's not simply the separation of, let's say, copper and nickel, the, the historical large large bulk minerals. So the uh, and the world, not the non-mining world, is actually seeing that and paying attention to it. So I think it's it's actually becoming very attractive to to people to go into study these days, where probably for certainly for my working lifetime, the 40 years, it hasn't been. Mm. Even when I went in, that area of that mining and mineral processing was really somewhere you didn't go into. You know, you went into IT or some other, some other area. Whereas now I think there is a, there's, there's an acceptance that it is a, it is a worthwhile profession and a and very it, acceptable profession. And is that because of technology? I, I think awareness, certainly awareness of yeah. what the requirements are, but yes, the technology as well. Mm. Um, in the industry, yes, okay, I, I don't have a say about the, you know, the mining, the geology is getting harder, the deposits are getting deeper, the mining's harder, you know, they, but we're still, the use of metals is still increasing, what is it, I don't know, 5%, 10% year on year, mm. and especially on the more exotic metals. So it's all, always going to be a requirement mm. if it... Um, if they get rarer, it just means the price will go up and there'll be more competition from whoever it is, the battery manufacturers. So, um, yes, there is it. Uh, and we have to make it more efficient to, to extract that. Mm. Um, we, we, in the past, we've, um, in, in the Western world, you know, we've just taken, oh, well, that's, you know, there's a cutoff what's acceptable recovery to make a profit. So okay, we've got uh, we've got ninety percent recovery of let's say copper. Oh, that's okay. That makes us lots and lots of money. Whereas these days, people are looking. Well, okay, ninety percent, but you're putting ten percent into the tailings, and you've already mined that. That's a waste. Mm -hmm. You know, in the olden days of the Soviet Union, Russia, you know, there was no such thing as a waste. They every hundred percent of the valuable constituents that they mined, they had to account for in production. You know, okay, it was a communist system and wasn't probably wasn't economically viable or whatever. But I have to say, we are moving towards that system now, mm -hmm. where you have to look at even all the waste that you produce from a mine has to be seen as a valuable product. Whether it, if it's benign waste in making refractories or bricks or or uh, cement additives, but if there's metals in there, you have to think about well, like we can't leave them in the in the ta in the ground or in the tailings. We have to extract them. Mm. So yeah, I, I think very exciting times now for people starting in the industry. Yeah, Mike, really appreciate your time in uh, doing this podcast. Um, I'm, I know there's a lot of um, uh, of our audience from the mineral processing background. So if they want to sort of reach out to you, ask ask you any questions. Um, or find out more about Mile Grin. How can they uh, go about doing that? And are you on any social media channels? Oh, we're we're um, we're on all social media. And um, we we've um, we've 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 just uh, a guy Tim Sambrook has just started with us as a business development manager. Um, uh, our the print the previous principles, let's say, uh, are fairly long in the tooth, but he's now embraced. You know, he's obviously a younger, more dynamic person. He's embraced our social media. And in fact, in just the last few months, we've gone 
order of magnitude leaps and bounds in LinkedIn, uh, all the social media forums. We obviously yeah. have a, an up-to-date website, which is simply milgwyn.com. Yeah. Uh, M-A-E-L-G-W-Y-N. If you, if, uh, if you spell anything near it.com, you'll find it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I'll put and, yeah, these... so we're there and, and we're all available for any, any feedback or any technology that, you know, that I'm sure they can check on your podcast. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you in the notes, you have, uh, information there that they can reach us whichever yeah. way they like. Yeah, certainly. I'll put all that information in the uh, show notes so people can, uh, can people obviously go to that and uh, reach out to you and alternatively if you want to um forward me any questions then i'm happy to um pass them on to mike and his team um and my email address is rob at mining-international.org mike really appreciate your time again um and explaining obviously the history um and obviously the technology and projects uh, products of uh, malgrin um, and I'm sure you're going to get some inquiries from our audience because um, I think it's an exciting technology and it is needed. Recoveries need to need to increase. Um, and I just think um, you've got some great products that you've explained to our audience. And um, hopefully you'll uh, hopefully you'll hear from some of our audience. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much for having us on. And and I have to say, I think we live in exciting times now in our industry. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm looking for a good future. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed this, listening to this podcast. Um, if you can share this podcast and this particular episode, especially if you know of other people within the mineral industry, um, processing industry, who would um, benefit from listening to uh, what Mike has said. I appreciate if you can pass this uh, episode on to them. Um, and yeah, happy, um, until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.